For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Don't let moose lick your cars. That's right, Canadians. It's that time of year again, when the road maintenance vehicles start dropping salt on icy stretches of highway, along with rolling out the signs that say, don't let moose lick your vehicles. Seems like common sense, but hey, is it common? Social media would say otherwise. A rebounding moose population around Jasper, Alberta, has led to increasing incidents of moose using Subarus like lollipops. One, two, three. The Canada moose can grow to 1,200 pounds and stand over 7 feet tall at the shoulder. So, when that sube is a-rockin', don't get out of your vehicle. Tourists have reportedly been traveling to the area specifically to have their vehicles licked. Which, if not against the law, darn sure sounds like it should be, or at least a transaction that takes part in a part of town that's not on the way to church. That social media gold better be worth it, because Jasper National Park has increased the fine for intentional car licking to a maximum of $20,000 US, which begs the question, what does it cost for only part of the car? Maybe just a hubcap or a fender job. At any rate, it's not worth disturbing the wildlife and slowing down traffic, causing potentially hazardous situations for your next selfie. After all, your big social media post is just somebody else's job. This week, we've got turkey talk, LWCF, deer donations, and frisky belugas. But first... I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as you know, is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. 
Remember, if you have a clean, quiet, battery-powered, no-stinking-powerful steel saw under the seat of your truck, anytime you're heading out into the woods, you just feel better about yourself. I do, anyway. In fact, I'm charging some batteries right now, just in case. This, friends and neighbors, is the Cal's Week in Review Thanksgiving episode. Well, it will be a post-Thanksgiving episode. I am currently gearing up and heading into the woods for the last days of the Montana general big game season. I would love to get one more mule deer in the freezer and call it good, but I have a few family members that would enjoy elk meat. So despite not exactly wanting another elk on my back, if I bump into one, the, you know, the work will begin. Tradition is something that is synonymous with our holidays. No matter your creed or religion, we all have things that we do every year. My thing is being in the woods. Occasionally, I've dropped in on some family to help with leftovers, but I've got a standing date in the deer or elk woods. Maybe a duck blind. Which is, as it turns out, a really safe and selfish yet selfless act all of the sudden. Thank you, COVID. I'm no hero. Despite the cold temps in the remote places I try to go to assure a lack of people with moderate chances at game, my tradition is likely better than getting together around the dinner table and pretending I can hear all the different conversations going on. Sure, I want to see everyone, but a big portion of my family works in healthcare, and they are assuring us that the Montana healthcare system is overloaded with COVID cases. So don't be adding to the problem. Hear you loud and clear. Love you, fam, but I'll see you next year. Provided, that is, my freezer is full then. Hopefully, this Thanksgiving has been a great one for everyone, with a little more outside time built in. The turkey day traditions of watching football or TV in general never really grip me, especially if you get sucked into these reality survivor shows that force the storyline of man versus nature where nature is something to be beaten and feared. If you, like me, get put off by things like that, yet you know that there is still plenty left to learn, releasing December 1 is our brand new, incredibly awesome Mediator Guide to Wilderness Skills and Survival book. Just something I thought you should know. You'll learn hard-earned advice from accomplished outdoors men and women including river guides, lifelong hunters, mountaineers, emergency room doctors, and wild foods experts. Things like how to effectively find and treat water, how to gear up for any outdoor adventure, why cooking accidents mess way more people up than grizzlies, how to deal with porcupine quills in your dog, roast meat on the fire, and how to develop a mindset that keeps you calm, rational, and focused during your most stressful moments. We could all use a little bit of that. After all, Thanksgiving is just the warm-up to the big show of Christmas, and if you think your family goes crazy at Thanksgiving, we all know they're certifiably insane when it comes to Christmas. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere? Leave you for dead? Now, what you really want to hear, the snort report. (laughs) That little yellow lab is closing in on seven months, She's doing great. She's been uh, resting on the bird front and accompanying me on some big game hunts. She froze her little butt off on an overnight trip last weekend, 
but she conveniently fits into my sleeping bag, which is great for her and not that restful for me. I'm a total sissy for the record. But the big news is, once we get this big game stuff out of the way, is we are gearing up to do a few days of pheasant hunting. Really get focused, run her little tail wagon rear end off. I will definitely keep you posted on this one. I'm meeting up with a few friends who have been quarantined and COVID tested. I'm knocking on wood because anything can happen, but I want this trip to happen. And if you're interested in following along with this one, uh, I'll tell you right now, I'm admittedly not awesome at the social media game, but I will be doing my best to take you all along with me for a December rooster road trip talking conservation and habitat with Pheasants Forever and doing some serious cooking with a buddy many of you will recognize. Tune in to see who it is. Plus, lots and lots of snort. She's pumped. She's going to get after the roosters. Be sure to follow us at OlCal406. That's O-L-C-A-L 406 on Instagram to follow this rooster road trip. Moving on. We've been stabbed! Right in the back. Or maybe in the front. To be honest, it's confusing. Recently released, Secretarial Order 3388 from David Bernhardt, Secretary of the Interior, regarding the use of Land and Water Conservation Fund, has some language that causes serious concern. If you have been a listener to this show, you know about the Great American Outdoors Act within which, amongst a lot of other things, was full and permanent funding for the Land and Water Conservation Fund, or LWCF. LWCF being a primary no-cost-to-the-taxpayer tool to fund access projects, improvements in land acquisition. LWCF funds have been used for ballparks, shooting ranges, bike paths, easements through private land to public land, boat ramps, and much more in all 50 states. Good things if you like your out-of-doors time. Inside the freshly printed Secretarial Order 3388, which outlines how LWCF funds are to be spent and what qualifies for LWCF, are many good points. In fact, I would say spot on. But there are a few that are very confusing and very concerning. The confusion comes from the fact that a cabinet that repeatedly says less red tape, less bureaucracy, less government overreach, added Section 4, Item 7, which reads, in order to receive or qualify for land and water funds, a written expression of support by both the affected governor and local county or county government equivalent is required for the acquisition of land, water, or interest in land or water under the federal LWCF program. Meaning that if you, the owner of a private piece of ground, something we hold quite dear in this country, wishes to use LWCF for a project, you've applied, forked up the matching cash for the grant, crossed your T's, whether or not you get those funds to complete your project on your land, would now depend on your relationship with your county commissioner or possibly the governor of your state. 
Now, aside from the fact that the Trump administration took on the Great American Outdoors Act and passed it while accepting a lot of pats on the back, now it seems they're saying, you can have the LWCF, we just want to make it really hard to access it. So here's some obstacles to make it even more difficult and more daunting. This should irk you. This should get under your skin as an infringement of your private property rights. The plausible reason for this, I believe, is to protect the county tax fund. Development creates more revenue than agricultural land, and agricultural land creates more revenue than federal land. This is the argument that accounts purely for the property tax, not cash coming in from gas sales and restaurants and, uh, you know, flat tires and stuff when folks are out hunting and fishing. The other implication here would be that someone in state government, from the county level up to the governor, could catch wind of your project and say no for any reason. Maybe you want, as a private landowner, to provide an easement through your property to a river, but your neighbors along that river enjoy that lack of access, so they petition either the county or the governor and they get to tell you what you get to do with your private land. This is very interesting to me, because I live in the state of Montana, a state where we have an incumbent state senator, Steve Daines, who has cited against historical easements to public lands, and we just elected a governor, Greg Gianforte, who is on the record trying to get rid of a public river access site adjacent to his personal property, because he didn't want people using the river next to his home. Now, another reason that you may hear as to the necessity of a county or state-level sign-off in regards to the use of LWCF for land acquisition is essentially a government overreach argument, or the very same argument turned on its ear. You don't want the feds coming in here to take more land away from the state. Well, unfortunately, that's just not how these things work. It's not some random federal agent in D.C. who puts their thumb on a map and says, this spot, we're going to take it. It starts with a member of your community going, holy hell, I worked my whole life keeping the farm together, and now the kids want to break it up. I wish there was another way. This same landowner would like to see their ranch that they sweated and bled over Continue on as such, not as a subdivision, for instance. They search out the path to conservation easement. The typical end game would be to protect the land from development and get that land protected long term by getting it acquired at the state or federal level. In between the landowner and the state or the feds, the property can be held by a number of nonprofit groups like the Wilderness Trust or the Trust for Public Lands. Many, many other trusts exist out there. There are several big, old, beautiful places that are wildlife management areas or BLM ground that I hunt on here in the state of Montana that are full of hunting opportunities that would have been locked off to everyone if it were not for this type of transaction funded in part by the Land and Water Conservation Fund. The Sabanoso Wilderness in New Mexico, which was our only landlocked wilderness area in the United States was only open to the public through such a transaction. The Rimrock Rose Ranch was acquired by the Wilderness Trust through funds 
that it gathered by many, many, many people making donations. And that land was the keystone piece to finally allowing public access to totally locked off public land. The Wilderness Trust, however, could only hold on to the property long enough to get it into federal hands, in this case, the BLM. The owners of the Rimrock Rose Ranch preferred to see that ranch and the wilderness beyond it enjoyed by the public rather than sold off piece by piece amongst their kids. Seems like they earned that right. The issue counties run into when lands are sold to a federal entity is it reduces the amount of taxable income earning land in these low population counties, typically. Less money for road maintenance, schools, etc. To the point where some do not see the beauty and generosity in opening up a multi-generational ranch to the public for recreation as a win, but instead a monetary loss and maybe another step toward the shuttering of a badly outdated school in need of funds. The question is, do the recreators spend enough in the county when they visit that land to offset that tax revenue loss? Now to hammer this point in even a little bit deeper, I personally know of two examples that are ongoing here in Montana that would make this secretarial order extremely interesting, both of which are large to large-ish multi-generational family ranches, on both of which the last generation that actually wanted to ranch still do so, they still run the day-to-day operations, and they're well into their 90s. They have miraculously survived heart attacks, cancers, the normal agrarian maladies, not to mention rolled trucks, tractors, exploding livestock, good credit, bad credit, long enough to keep the ranch expanding and healthy. And what keeps them going is knowing that none of their kids want the place unless they can sell it off. These folks aren't working on these properties into their 90s to see them be sold and broken up. The other thing these ranches have in common is they both have their mineral rights intact and they both almost certainly have a hell of an economic boom to the county underneath. Lots of jobs underneath the cow pastures and prairie. However, if these ranchers have their way, these jobs will never be realized as they do not want their land developed. They want to keep that land intact and they want people to be able to come out and appreciate it. You could see speculate rather that if a county commissioner could choose to increase the economic wealth of the county by voting against one of these ranchers and their plans for their land, they could stall them out, right? They're in their 90s, they can't live forever. Hopefully deal with the kids and get a mine going in town as opposed to just, you know, a bunch of freeloading hunters going out there and uh, enjoying the place. Now, secretarial orders are relatively easy to reverse or negate provided we have a new Secretary of the Interior next year. I would imagine Section 4, Paragraph 7 of SO3388 would be part of that list that heads to the round file. So, if that's the case, we're just crying in the mud until then. However, if Section 4, Paragraph 7 were not reversed, or if, let's say, we see similar bills pop up on the state level, because, you know, David Bernhardt didn't come up with this stuff on his own, it represents someone's interests, then we need to make sure that our congressional and state representatives know that our county commissioners and even our governors do not have the right to tell us what we can and cannot do with our private property. 
A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on. In the past, we've done turkey stats here on the Week in Review, but we're nothing if not flexible. 2020 has also been a bonanza year for tofu. After 2 or 3% growth a year for the past decade or so, tofu sales for Nasoya, the country's number one brand, have gone up 20% so far this year, and according to their VP of sales, Jay Toscano, it could have been 50%. 
if they could only have kept up with demand. Now, we can't say for sure how many Thanksgiving dinners were entirely replaced with tofurkeys, but we're clearly living in a different reality. Not that we have anything in particular against tofu here at Cal's Week in Review, but I prefer my protein on two legs, not, uh, you know, something that I got to collect in a big bundle and then boil forever and then skim off the protein and compact it into something that resembles what was just walking around on two legs. That's just me. Anyway, enough with tofurkeys. We're going to jump over to the Don't Feed the Wildlife desk in response to a flock of emails I received about Penny the Turkey, a once wild bird living, until recently, in Bloomington, Minnesota. You know this story. A wild animal's habitat overlaps with ours. People get a kick out of seeing this animal around. A name is bestowed, people feed the animal, and people take photos and share them on social media. For a while, everything seems to be going great. Here's a hint, it always turns bad for the animal. So, it went with Penny the turkey. According to the Minneapolis Star Tribune, where, as of this writing, Penny's story is the most read article on the website, Bloomingtonians became extremely attached to this bird. Hallmark dry cleaners in town even held a special, named after him, where if you brought in one feather comforter, you could get a second one cleaned for a penny. That's clever marketing. Unfortunately, you also know where this story went from here. After getting used to people feeding him, Penny became more and more fearless, approaching and eventually harassing people for food. Please, sir, I want some more. More? Freaked out civilians placed more and more calls to the local Department of Natural Resources, asking them to resolve the situation. And the last straw came when Penny attacked a motorcyclist at an area gas station. Attacking a biker. That must have been one kicking chicken. (laughs) Unfortunately, once this behavior is learned, it can't be unlearned. And so relocating Penny would have just brought the problem to a new spot and so on. Minnesota DNR eventually came out and did what you have to do at the end of the fed animal story. Some local residents put up a memorial for Penny, and many others are letting the world know that they're upset with the DNR. However, as you know in my opinion, they should have been upset with themselves, as feeding that turkey cooked that bird long before the DNR got a hold of him. Because my appeals to people not to feed wildlife have fallen on deaf ears, Maybe I should try another strategy. Hey, turkeys out there. You deer, the bears, especially you black bears. I know the french fries people are offering you seem like a great idea, but don't fall for it. There's nothing but heartbreak in the end. I don't think that's going to work either. I understand people getting attached to a particular animal, as you know. I am hopelessly and embarrassingly attached to the good old snort dog. And I understand that the timing of the DNR's uh, resolution of the penny problem so near to Thanksgiving is a bit of a downer, but it does strike me as strange that the people protesting Penny's passing probably partook in a turkey on their Thanksgiving tables this year. And there are no roadside memorials for those butterballs. Well, at least for a moment here on this show, we will remember those other birds too. Now, because, for whatever reason, holidays and anthropomorphism 
the bestowing of human traits and feelings on animals go hand in hand. We're going to do a little Thanksgiving time segment here because it's tempting to think that animals of all kinds have been taking a bit of revenge on human beings, perhaps on behalf of Penny, let's say, because it's Thanksgiving, and the rest of their turkey brethren. For example, Newsweek and other outlets have reported that in the past several months, orcas off the coast of Portugal have taken to approaching passing boats and repeatedly ramming into them, sometimes for as long as two hours at a stretch. There have been over 40 of the incidents in the past six months, and the problem has gotten so bad that the Portuguese Coast Guard has restricted boat traffic off the Atlantic coast near Porto. A sailor named David Smith filmed one of the incidents, and I tell you, it is something. No, not something that the sailor from Portugal's name was David Smith. I'm sure that's not an alias. Anyway, watching the whales turn upside down to show the white underside of their bellies and tails, then hearing and feeling the thuds against the hull and rudder of the boat must have been terrifying and fascinating to experience firsthand, and after two hours, it must have been bizarrely tedious as well. We should call them incidents instead of attacks because it's not clear that the behavior is aggressive. Some biologists suspect it may be a particularly rough form of play. We all remember that one kid on the playground who just wouldn't stop on the merry-go-round until everyone wanted to throw up, and apparently, with a couple of these ships, the orcas spun them around in a similar fashion. No one has much of an idea why the orcas are doing this, and to be honest, if I could ram ships until they spun in circles, maybe I would do so just for fun too. But because no one can tell me for certain that I'm wrong, I'm just floating the theory that these orcas heard about Penny's treatment and aren't taking it lying down. The revolution isn't televised, it may just be on sonar. Animal revenge even seems to be coming from beyond the grave, or, at least in the case of one hunter in Indiana, beyond the double lung shot. After harvesting a whitetail buck earlier this month, 63-year-old Haggy of Dillsboro loaded said buck up on an ATV. Unfortunately, Haggy tried to take the ATV up too steep of an incline and rolled the vehicle over. The deer's antler punctured Haggy's right side in the process. Thankfully, the injuries weren't life-threatening, and Haggy was in stable condition when the Greensburg News and other outlets reported the story. Again, a hunter wounded by an animal right on the heels of Penny's story? Coincidence? I think so. Here's a quick story for you. One near and dear to my heart. Get it? Well, not exactly my heart either. You'll just have to listen up. Way back in the guiding days, I was packing a bull off a mountain in New Mexico when a pack strap exploded, which allowed the weight of the meat and head to shift, which sent me down the mountain where I ultimately landed on the bull's rack in a very uncomfortable sort of yoga pose, possibly best described as camel. I was assessing any injuries while keeping my back arched so the tines of the bull didn't puncture my back until my fellow guide arrived on the scene and helped pick me up. Not much was said as it was like 90 degrees and we had a cloud of hornets following us. It wasn't until later that week that my guide buddy confessed that when he came upon me lying beneath the trail, he had a full view 
of my uh, genitals, my groin area, as it was so hot, I hadn't been wearing any base layers, and one of the bull's tines must have shot between my legs and gored open my pants. Also, not a case of animal revenge, unless that bull had a real twisted mind and was ultimately out to get my guide buddy by witness to indecent exposure. The image of his dangling participle still burned in my eyes. Anyway, harm caused by wild game is also at issue in a recent controversy in central Maryland, where Anne Arundel County has started an innovative venison donation program. As with many of these programs around the country, trace amounts of lead from hunter's bullets in the donations have been cause for some concerns. Several states and counties x-ray the donated meat to find and discard any contaminated parts. Lead bullets do fragment when they hit an animal, sometimes sending trace amounts of lead surprisingly far from the wound channel. Just cutting away the obvious bullet damage doesn't get rid of it all. I don't personally believe we full-grown, formed adult hunters should have to be too concerned about the trace amount of lead especially because most folks out there are not eating venison three meals a day every day. However, as we've covered in the past and multiple times, the much bigger risk, as I see it, is to scavengers, especially raptors like the California condor. As you likely know, you have to use non-lead bullets to take game of any kind in California because scavengers like the condor can come closer to eating three meals a day that consist of gut piles and cutaway portions of hunter's kills. So, if you are a hunter in A.A. County, Maryland, and you have recently taken a buck with some trusty corelock, I think you should enjoy that game meat with a peaceful mind. However, a couple things about this Maryland venison donation program do make me pause. First, even though I might personally choose to take a bit of risk by eating venison with a dash of lead every so often, the people receiving venison through the donation program aren't making that same choice. Although I believe the benefits far outweigh the risks, and x-raying all that meat could be cost prohibitive, those eating donated food have the right to know what's in it. More interestingly, though, is the incentive program that the county has come up with. They give hunters $50 per deer that's donated. Somehow, even though the lead content in the meat is the same, that bounty and the motivation to get the bounty leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Maybe I should get over it. If more hunters are willing to provide more food to more people in need, that's a good thing, right? And still, it seems to come maybe a little too close to market hunting for my comfort. Not that my comfort is the most important thing here, but still. Maybe there can be some happy medium. We admit that copper bullets are a better choice for shooting at targets that will become food. And, last I checked, a box of Federal Trophy Premium Copper in 308 retailed for $47.99. Maybe instead of a cash payout, AA County, Maryland could provide hunters with the ammo necessary to make sure no one is eating lead. Not wildlife, not the hunters themselves, and not their neighbors at the local food bank. I will admit this plan could be open to manipulation. A resident hunting license costs $24.50 in Maryland. And with the price of ammo these days, a person could just show up with a license get the box of shells, and turn around and make a tidy little profit. You know, like all plans in their foundation phase, they need some work. But instead of forking over a $50 bill for a deer, I think there's some other options here. 
Moving on. You duck hunters out there have undoubtedly noticed that bag limits on bluebills, aka scop, have gotten tighter and tighter in recent years. Scientists have been studying the decline of bluebills with concern for decades. Populations have fallen from about 7 million in 1970 to around 3.5 million today. Some would call that 50%. Although there's no single cause of the decline, researchers have observed that, similar to the egrets we discussed in last episode, bluebills have been suffering from elevated levels of contaminants in their systems, selenium in particular. This may be because a larger and larger proportion of the scop's diet is made up of zebra mussels, an invasive bivalve that has taken over in many waterways along the duck's migration route, including the Great Lakes. The same cycle that happens with egrets happens with ducks. Contaminants go into the environment, the filter feeders like the mussels pick up the contaminants, and then they pass that up to the next predator, in this case, scop. And with so many other factors working against duck reproduction, including loss of habitat and changing climate, the higher levels of contaminants put one more obstacle in the way. And we hunters see fewer of them and have fewer opportunities to get that meat into the freezer. One thing always to remember, no bright line exists separating us and our well-being from these animals and their well-being. The same watersheds that give them water give us water. The same things that contaminate their food contaminate our food. When we protect habitat for wildlife, we're also protecting ourselves and keeping that nasty stuff out of ourselves and our friends and our parents and our kids and everyone. I want to thank Alex C. for writing in and making sure our heads were screwed on straight on that one after the egret episode. And I think we can take this one step further and suggest to state agencies that maybe the SCOP could be the poster child for telling people not to dump contaminants in waterways. You know, instead of a stop sign, it'd be a scop sign. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you are the selfless type of conservationist we know you are, tell a friend about Cal's Week in Review. And, most importantly, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at the meat eater. Thanks a bunch. I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 
That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.